Hi, everybody. This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system. And hey, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, today we are so very excited to invite a new friend, Dr. Terry Platchek, that I got to meet uh, in October when I had the privilege of speaking out at Stanford. Uh, Dr. Platchek, we are so excited to have you. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role and some of the things that you do? Sure. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here, Skip. Thanks for the uh, welcome and the introduction and the invitation. Um, my name is Terry Placek. Uh, I'm I trained in internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Michigan. I practice uh, as a pediatric hospitalist uh, at Stanford Children's Health, Lucille Packard Children's Hospital. Uh, and my role there is as uh, vice president uh, for performance improvement uh, and associate chief quality officer for improvement. I have a couple other roles. Uh, I have the privilege of running a fellowship uh, focused on lowering the cost of great healthcare uh, at Stanford's Clinical Excellence Research Center, uh, and I serve as faculty director in Stanford's uh, Medicines Center for Improvement. Um, mm. It's a, a wonderful place to work, uh, and my work in large part focuses when it's not on caring for hospitalized children, um, how uh, we're either trying to improve care uh, at the front line using uh, a lean-based improvement system. We call it the Packard Quality Management System. Uh, and then some uh, cool academic stuff I get to do is looking at how uh, we can disseminate models of care that, um, that lower the cost of great health care as opposed to being cost additive. Well, Terry, once again, thank you very much for being here. And, and you know, we're recording this podcast. It's January the 20th. How how is the weather in Palo Alto today? Amazingly, amazingly, uh, it's not raining. It's been raining for a couple of weeks, uh, and okay. I told myself uh, I would never complain about the rain uh, after moving to California, and uh, and I won't. But what I'm happy about is uh, we're, we're getting a little break, uh, so uh, some of that rain can filter down into the groundwater uh some of the rivers yeah. can uh, flow out to the sea uh and uh we're ready for some more uh in a couple of days uh give it on we'll fill up some more groundwater fill up uh fill up some more um uh, reservoirs uh and uh, as long as there's uh not any flooding uh, let the rains continue well good well the few times i've been out there palo alto is a beautiful place uh to be and to visit um Want to you know when we have physicians on the on the podcast, um, we like to say most of us didn't go into medicine to get into continuous improvement and performance improvement. And tell us a little bit about your journey into uh, performance improvement. How how did you get to where you are now? Uh, it started pretty early in my uh, in my healthcare career. Uh, I. I kind of came to medicine circuitously. I uh, I did my undergrad at Georgetown, and I uh, really thought I was going to go into government. It was a made it was my major. Um, I, I liked science, and I and I liked government. Uh, and um, uh, so I was a biologist and and uh, a government major. And <clears throat> what I what I realized through uh, doing some internships and 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 seeing some of the seeing the work of government was. 
at the time I thought, well, it seems like there's a there's a bit of acrimony in in politics, uh, and I didn't want to spend all my time focused on that. I wanted to like work on uh, solutions. I th I, th I thought that um, what I what I really loved though was being sort of like um, a representative of peers and those sorts of things. It was it wasn't until I was in, in medicine that I what I what I really loved that I um, I don't know that I have an aptitude for it, but I, I have a high tolerance for all the challenges that go along with it was um, not not so much being like a, a representative and uh, and 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 trying to, um, you know, be a politician, but rather um, just having a, a, a real drive to fix systematic problems. And it, uh, it was it was actually a sad story that got me started. I was. Um, I was an intern, uh, so I'd done medical school and I'd gotten interested in the administration of healthcare. Uh, and I uh, I stayed at University of Michigan for medical school and residency. Uh, and I had a mentor there. His name's Jack Billy. Uh, and uh, I had an experience as 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 an intern um, at one of our outlying community hospitals that um, a, a patient uh, she was in her late 60s uh, got admitted. Uh, and I was I was the doctor that was on in the ICU. Um, it was a community ICU. There wasn't any fellow or anything like that. You know, I had a, a senior resident. The senior resident was covering the cardiac in the medical ICU with us two interns. Um, and um, this uh, lady got admitted from the emergency department. And this and the story was that uh, she um, uh had a little bit of congestive heart failure, so they wanted to admit her, but she was having some diarrhea and they wanted us to sort of gently fluid resuscitate her. And I, you know, just talking to her, she seemed like a really nice lady, um, real hard time getting access in her. And so I was uh, putting in a central line uh, and sort of took off the drape and she was um, uh, she was not conscious, uh, couldn't really get a blood pressure, called the code, uh, coded her um, and uh, she passed away and uh, bought I don't remember how many hours it was. Uh, time sort of stopped after that uh, in my brain and uh, in my recollection. But we, we found out that night that uh, her blood culture ended up uh, having C. diff in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was like, you know, C. diff at the time, people hadn't heard of this or it, it had just been published that there was this new, more virulent form of it um, that uh, was causing, you know, really severe uh toxin release uh it you know all the all the lectures and so forth <clears throat> described it as more like a, a nuisance thing associated with antibiotics and uh you know i i kept replaying it over and over again what could i have done differently uh you know did i did i did i check cap refill okay when i presented to the attending like did was there something that i missed and i and i couldn't help um i couldn't help shake the notion that uh, if we had done something differently, uh, she mightn't have died, uh, and we, I, I might have realized more that she was in sepsis and septic shock, uh, and you know wouldn't have sort of like put her in the drape and some of those other sorts of things. And uh, I, uh, you know, everyone at the time was saying, "Listen, these happen. Like bad things happen." The nurses that were there, everyone was trying to say, "Okay." And I, I just couldn't shake it. So I ended up chatting with my uh, my advisor at the time, my mentor, uh, Jack. And he said, well, you know, people talk about this Swiss cheese thing in healthcare." And I said, 
yeah, Jack, I've heard about the Swiss cheese model. I don't like being a hole in a piece of cheese. Uh, and I and, and the model just didn't seem sufficient to me, like that we just have to put more slices of cheese in the way. And he's like, yeah, I never I never liked it either. You know, they do this thing in uh, with cars. It's called lean. And I was off to the races. Uh, it, and, mm-hmm. and I still think about that night. And I think about the fact that I don't want to be part of another systems failure. Uh, and inevitably, if you practice, you're going to be part of a systems failure, right? We we learned that in in 2001, and it just over and over again as as we keep hearing that there's um, a systematic causes that you know that, that affect tens of thousands of people uh, that are admitted to hospital. Uh, and you know, to me, the ability that I have to continue to practice is the fact that I'm I'm like focused on trying to address those systematic causes for a healthcare system that then can do wonderful things for patients. So it uh, it was it was uh, it was a very quick sort of transition for me. And at that point, I knew I, I joined our House Officers Association. Uh, I was I was I was really intent on uh, taking hospitals kicking and screaming across that quality chasm uh, and doing it, looking at systems. And I was just really fortunate uh, to get recruited to Stanford in 2010 uh, when the Children's Hospital was looking to uh, do its lean transformation. Uh, and, uh, you know, we call it the Packer Quality Management System. We've been at it for over a decade now. Uh, and it's uh, it's hard. Uh, I continue to think this is generational for us in healthcare, but it's incredibly rewarding uh, when you can see things like serious safety events or hospital acquired conditions and you look at them over year over year and you start to see them go down on that uh, on the SPC chart. Uh, there's nothing that gives me uh, more energy unless it's the Cubs uh, in the World <laughs> Series. <laughs> I hear wow. you. <laughs> well, Skip Skip's a Cardinals fan, so you know he doesn't he doesn't like hearing about the Cubs in the in the World Series. But anyway, <laughs> we'll agree to disagree, Skip, and then later on we can uh, fight it out in the next NL championship. <laughs> well, Terry, that was a really great story, um, <clears throat> very powerful, and I think a lot of physicians that are listening probably have had similar experiences, unfortunately. Um, so you are the you know chief quality officer at at Stanford Children's. We've had a lot of of a lot of physicians on that you know do quality or uh, continuous improvement at adult hospitals, but not as many in, in the pediatric realm. Um, what can you tell us are the major differences that you see, new challenges that might you might face in the pediatric realm that you might not have that we may, we may not see in the adult side. Yeah, uh, you know, I get this question often because I, I I I did internal medicine, I did pediatrics, um, and um, just I'm the associate chief quality officer. I got a boss. Her, uh, sure. her name's Grace Lee, and she's fantastic. <laughs> I just gave you a promotion. Uh, <laughs> she's chief quality officer. Um, uh, the I think that there's advantages and disadvantages on the children's side. I I gotta say the on one of the things that I love on the pediatric side is it. Uh, I remember in some adult settings where you would you, we talk about, you know, line infections 10, 15 years ago and people be like, ah, it just happens, you know, and Pernavos is going around doing Keystone yeah. and all the rest of that stuff. And people are like, no, they, these don't just need to happen. Uh, they, they happen because uh, we've created a system that has tolerances. And yes, the, the line infections are real, but they are they're 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 something we can decrease. And there, there, there was much more pushback at the time in adult hospitals than there was in pediatric hospitals. And I just think there's something 
about the fact that you at the end you just put up a picture of a kid and people are like, oh, yeah, we can't just tolerate the fact that the system isn't perfect for that person. Um, I love that about pediatrics. It's 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 why I'm a pediatrician there. I, I don't know. It's something <clears throat> there's many there's there's motivation amongst people that are, that are great and deep and, uh, uh, and internal. There's but there's lots of things I'm jealous of on the adult side. Um, <clears throat> On the pediatric side, we have the solutions for patient safety, especially on the inpatient side, where we've uh, focused recently, the past uh, 10 years or so, on hospital-acquired conditions. Uh, but the quality movement in pediatrics, I shouldn't say the quality, the safety movement in pediatrics, where we have this collaborative and we've done this work, is newer than it is on the adult side. Uh, it's, it's, and it's a smaller community. And when we look at the quality movement on the pediatric side we you know from benchmarking measures and so forth there 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 are not so many as compared to the adult side right it, it gets really mm -hmm. hard and i'm making a distinction between the don't hurt me on the safety side and the heal me on the quality side uh and um you know uh both are obviously incredibly important safety quality and eventually value um but uh uh, you know, there's just there's just less literature out there and there's certainly less standardization on the PED side. Um, and so I'm a little bit jealous of the adult side on that. When we do get it, though, we're a smaller community. Sometimes we can move faster. I like mm -hmm. to think that we've done a lot on the safety side in PEDS and some of the work coming out of the Solutions for Patient Safety Collaborative is uh, it's really incredible. And I think it happened at, at a much faster pace than it did on the adult side. There's there's frankly less healthcare to diffuse through. Sure. When you when you think about, you know, quality and safety in the pediatric population, you know, there's there's not a lot of mortality. There's not a lot of readmissions. But um, and, and one thing it seems like as far as it sounds like now there's a lot more cooperation and collaboration among pediatric uh, hospitals across the country, because I think one of the things is, is having that data, uh, mm -hmm. having the collection of data, you know, we we uh, we just at Baptist, we just switched to uh, Visient for our data yeah. and, and, you know, the Visient clinical database. There's not a lot of there. You know, there's not much pediatric data in that. Right. Wh exactly. wh wh where do you where does Stanford? How, how do you guys collaborate with, with other hospitals? Yeah, uh, great point. To get, the, to, get side, those, to get those bench, benchmarks that you talked about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So on the adult side, you know, Visient's huge, right? Uh, yep. And let me just say no database is ever perfect. No way sure. of collecting the data is ever perfect. And, you know, to a certain extent, sometimes uh, we, it's appropriate to try. It is appropriate to iterate those quality measures and get them to being perfect. <clears throat> what I don't love is when we have a good measure. I'm not saying bad ones. There are plenty of bad ones. But when you have a good one and people go out and they say, oh, no, we can't use it because it's not perfect. Uh, when if you if you did it, 90 percent of the effort that would come out of it would be reducing some sort of harm or improving some sort of care for folks. Uh, and it happens on both sides, right? It happens on the adult side and it happens on the PED side. Um, uh, and that uh, that's a little bit disappointing. But uh, as a consequence on the PED side, some of the things um, uh, we have not made it to national prominence. The, the one that has is the, it comes it comes out of Cincinnati. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's the, what, I think it originally was called the, um, Ohio Collaborative, and then it became the Collaborative uh, for Solutions for Patient Safety. Uh, at, at Stanford, we're very much engaged in that. Um, mm -hmm. I think we were in the first cohort, maybe. 
I can't don't quote me on that um, as I'm saying it on a podcast. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, we've been doing it for years. Uh, and um, uh, around hospital acquired conditions, I think there's incredible collaboration. So that would be things like central line associated bloodstream infections, hospital acquired pressure injuries, unplanned extubations, even falls in the pediatric side, uh, uh, urinary catheter associated infections. Um, pressure injury, surgical side infections, those sorts of things. Uh, I think that, um, you know, in, in the pediatric sphere and the adult sphere, I think they're probably just as much as much work. But then when you start talking about, you know, more broad quality measures in the ped side, people like start referencing things like our the asthma action plan. And, and they're sort of like, uh, you know, there's child age caps, but which which was an incredible uh, improvement in and of itself. But uh, it's not it's it's nothing uh, in terms of um, on the adult side as sort of the the reach uh, and the influence. And of course, then the systems that are driving some of these, uh, uh, you know, improvements, whether they be government or or whatever, they're not <clears throat> they're not hitting on the PED side uh, as broadly as they do on the adult side. So and to some extent, I'm saying I'm looking for more of those quality measures coming on the <clears throat> on the PED side, as as you said, you know, like uh, mortality and um, and even readmissions, even within children with medical complexity, it's just not as big an issue on the mm-hmm. on the PED side. So the the measures aren't always transferable. Sure, sure. Um, you mentioned you know you, the Packard quality management system that you guys use, and and we have we have what we call the Baptist management system here, which is our improvement system at Baptist. We have 11 guiding principles. It's very similar to the Shingo model, mm-hmm. but when it comes to the the tools that we use and the methods that we use for improvement, we use uh, A3s, uh, Kata projects, um, and, and things like that. Tell us a little bit about the the Packard manage, uh, quality management system, uh, how you guys approach improvement. Yeah. Um... It sounds uh, somewhat similarly, um, although you know uh, Shingo wasn't our guide. Of course, the 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 guide being whether you call it modern management or you know improvement management that doesn't require um, specialized improvers to do the improvement, uh, but rather uh, encourages frontline based improvement. Uh, whether you call it lean. Uh, based on you know what Toyota did, but looking to other industries and seeing how they do improvement. Uh, that 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 was the model for the Packard quality management system. Um, and the way we think about it is um, the our manage any management system kind of has three parts. Um, we talk we use a bicycle as an analogy, uh, and we say you know the front wheel of the bicycle where the rubber meets the road. That's uh, that's sort of the Everyday improvement, we sometimes call it the daily management system. I've heard people call it daily engagement system. Uh, uh, whatever that work is, it's the it's the small scale improvement that has to happen every day, because the world changes every day, so that your standards and your and your processes uh, adapt all the time. Uh, and uh, you know, huddles fit in there. Uh, people you know call it active daily management. You know, where problems are are are, are escalated. But there's sometimes where you need entirely new standards and you need big improvement, and and we throw that to the back of our PQMS bicycle. That's the improvement wheel. You know, we have things like local improvement teams, MISO system improvement, stuff that's off- offline where you have to make new standards. 
we, we call them rapid process improvement workshops, or if you're talking about, you know, a, a 5S session where you're trying to sort and, uh, and um, uh, create uh, uh, less waste in the way we're organizing uh, the, the way we work. And then, of course, someone has to steer this whole thing, the alignment, and there's lots of words around that. Uh, you know, there's mission, vision, values, there's annual goals. Uh, if we were, you know, if we were talking about Toyota, they'd call it Hoshin Conry. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and all, all the, all this, all the pieces that go in there, which, you know, uh, take improvement from, um, pulling people apart because everyone's improving in a different direction, uh, to people moving together, uh, and achieving because we're sort of aligned in the, in the same direction. So, uh, my guess is it's very similar. Of course, I'd see, I think in most places that are, that are doing this type of improvement management work, there's different flavors of it, right? Some are going to be really heavy on events. Uh, some are really heavy on the social part of the social technical improvement system. I think we're probably a little bit heavier on the social part of the social technical improvement system, not the least because, um, Edgar Schein, maybe the one of the grandparents of modern organizational development, happens to live, uh, you know, within walking distance of our hospital. Uh, <laughs> it's an incredible resource. Uh, sure. Reading his book, Humble Inquiry, is, uh, is life changing for people improvement, I think. Uh, so um, I, my guess is uh, uh, many people listening uh, would would hear lots of similarities into uh, what it is uh, we do. You know, we use the word lean. Um, and and we we reference where some of the ideas come from, but unlike a decade or two ago, when people are like, "What do cars have to do with healthcare?" We don't we don't have that many conversations about it. I, you know, we're not using that many uh, Japanese uh, words. You know, we're uh, often referring back to Deming and others, uh, and they're just words that have become part of our vernacular. There's maybe like one or two words that are Japanese that we still might use. People use Gemba, going to mm -hmm. where the work's done. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, well, I think people use the word waste. I don't think people are using any, any other, any other terms for that, but, uh, not, uh, they're not using Muda, right? They're not using, I, I might, but yeah. then people look at me, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> yeah. So Terry, you mentioned alignment and, you know, working on the social more necessarily than the, the technical uh, what can you tell us about uh, how y'all achieve alignment with your medical staff, how we, you get them involved in, in these projects? Yeah, well, you know, of course, we're in California. So uh, we, we, we uh, by rule, have um, imposed a med uh, complexity. So um, I am an employee <laughs> as a doctor of uh, the Stanford University School of Medicine and a member of our medical staff. Uh, that is a different uh, 501c3 than the hospital, uh, Lucille Packard Children's Hospital, Stanford. And so <clears throat> as um, as a vice president in that system, you know, my employer is Stanford University School of Medicine contracts and there's back and forth and um, there's there's a bit of administrative complexity that's associated with that regarding, you know, physician uh, laws. I think it's called Stark laws. Um, that said, uh, by and large, aside from that, uh, you know, um, bit of complexity, uh, we all know we're working for Stanford, right? And by the way, our children's hospital is has its own board and its own uh, C-suite and our adult hospital has its own board and all C-suite. So we're a freestanding um, children's hospital. Um, advantages and disadvantages of that, uh, especially as a med-peds guy. 
uh, I love the adult side, but uh, the many advantages of the fact that, you know, we have an EMR that's focused on kids and, you know, we can do all that weight-based, you know, safety air proofing yeah. and, stuff, and stuff like that. There's there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, we try to eliminate as, as many um, administrative uh, hurdles to people thinking they're, you know, well, this is a doctor thing or a nurse thing or so forth. The roles are critical. But we're all part of the same community. So what, what we say is we know we'll have achieved uh, there's roughly 6000 folks that work for us when we have 6000 aligned, engaged uh, and incredible problem solvers. And how do we how do we achieve that? Well, people come to work to do their work and they also come to work to improve their work. And it's the process of improving your work while you're doing it. That's how we're developing our people. And there's not a different strategy for doctors than there are for the folks that work for Stanford Children's, even though there's two separate HR groups. And I say there's not a different strategy. That doesn't mean we don't have challenges, right? Uh, mm -hmm. it, obviously, if someone's a medical director or me, like I'm a vice president at the hospital, I'm much more bought into the hospital's you know, management yeah. system and so forth than mm -hmm. someone who might be doing research 90% of the time and only 10% and only clinical. So there's, there's always those sorts of challenges, but we try not to make a distinction right? Everyone has their roles and their standards associated around the roles, but the improvement system should be the same. So when you're going out onto the units, um, yes, it's true. Our, our nurse managers are called patient care services managers. I think that's a critical name change we did about a decade ago because it's, it's, an, it's an acceptance that um, those leaders are not, they're not, they do have to manage a nursing workforce, but they're also managing in many cases, a lot of the things that are needed for the physicians to do their care. How do we make sure that the case managers are coming in? Are the, are the pharmacists, even though they have their own managers aligned with the care that's happening with the patients? And as a consequence, there's daily huddles that are tiered in five levels, right? There are, we call them Gemba rounds, where leaders are coming at multiple times during the day. They're coming through the units. We're trying to use visual management. We're trying to use um, uh, uh, standard processes around what issues are happening on the unit uh, in the beginning of the day. Are we ready to take care of our patients? Uh, how did the last shift or the last day go? Our, our readiness, our reflection, and our recognition. Who's done amazing things that, that we need to recognize? And then during the day, there's sort of standardized check-ins and so forth. So uh, in, in concept, of course, that all sounds amazing. Uh, and you'd expect to come and see that all working like clockwork. And then, you know, uh, that, that um, picture in my mind palace reads, meets reality every single day. Uh, and it doesn't always look pretty. Sometimes it looks really ugly. Uh, and uh, we're putting out uh, fires and, you know, the complexity of modern healthcare <clears throat> makes its way in. And, and I always say it's a constant battle between the structure and the error proofing that we're trying to put in place and entropy and the fact that the world's changing and that we're constantly needing to adapt to that changing reality, whether it be a growing service or a totally, you know, new infectious illness that tilts the world off of its axis <laughs> yeah. or um, or, you know, uh, changes in the way our society thinks about labor. Uh, all, all of those things are things that we're constantly needing uh, to try to adapt to. Um, and, you know, uh, I think we're not um, we're not pond scum anymore. But we're certainly, you know, uh, we're not in college yet. Uh, we're somewhere in between there on our journey towards, you know, uh, quote, never achievable, perfect management. Uh, sure. And, you know, some days we look like we're in kindergarten and other days we might look like we're in fourth or fifth grade.
Well, HF, did you catch they they do a five tiered huddle? UVA yeah. does a three tiered, and Intermountain has a seven tiered. One one of these days, we're going to find out who can have the most tiers. That's right. That, that's exactly right. If, you know, if we let it, I think people would choose like 11 or 12 tiers of huddles. Uh, we're, we're, we're a 6,000 person, you know, uh, right. children's system and um, five seemed like definitely enough. I, I, I love the huddle structure, right? But uh, so many people think of the huddles and they think that's it. That's the improvement system. And it, it is a critically important part of our, well, you know, what we call daily management system and the improvement system. And I love it. And I love how people get engaged in the huddles and all those other sorts of things. But first of all, Five tiers, maybe six if you're massive, you know, sound like enough. Uh, I bet you can do it in three, Jake, like you're saying. Uh, yeah. But of course, uh, you know, um, uh, that's not it, right? I always say, okay, look, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. <laughs> we, 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 we initially we had like two tiers. We decided we needed more. I don't remember what year this was, 2013, 14, 15, something like that. And we created four and then we decided we needed a system uh, executive hall. So that was that was sort of the fifth. And, you know, it works for us I, uh, uh, for now. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Platchek, this has been awesome. It's kind of a little surprising. It's been already uh, our time has come, but this has been really, really good. And, and you know, the first thing I'll say, you know, is that Cardinal fans and Cub fans are very close. If you've ever been to a Cardinal-Cubs game, you'll normally see a friend or a spouse with a Cardinal shirt on and the other one with a Cubs shirt. So it's a very friendly rivalry. Uh, that I enjoy uh, every year uh, watching and observing. And uh, so, uh, and then also here in two weeks, we have your mentor coming on, uh, Dr. Jack Billy. Uh, he's going to be coming on the podcast. So I just want to say on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, thank you so much for your leadership. It was very obvious to me when I was at Stanford back in October. Thank you for coming on the podcast and just on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, thank you so much for everything you're doing. Oh, thank you, Skip. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, HF. Uh, I can't believe you're getting Jack on the program. That sounds amazing. Uh, please tell him I say hi. And uh, it is uh, so wonderful to meet folks that are trying to improve. It is, an, it is a community, and I'm so glad we can all learn, do this together and learn from one another. Uh, and now that the pandemic is receding, go back and see again how, how, how each of us are doing that. It is social as much as it is technical. And I just feel so privileged to be able to, uh, well, I mostly talked at you guys because I love to talk. Uh, so no, thank you. Okay. For that. Thanks a lot, Terry. Cheers.